Today we're going to do a study. Uh, it's called Seven Lessons from Jesus' Prayer Life. And so let's start over in the book of Matthew, chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Prayer will change your life. You know, when you realize what it is, how we have this opportunity to talk to God, and it's been said that prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Think about that. And so sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. Or sometimes maybe you guys are here tonight and, you know, there's a lot going on in life. And so we're really, really busy. So my encouragement to you is every once in a while, do you guys ever have it where you have maybe too much clutter at home? And so you kind of got to clean it up uh, every once in a while. Do you guys ever do that? You're like, no, I have a whole bunch of stuff in my house. <laughs> I think we all do. Is this a natural tendency to get cluttered? There's a natural tendency to get busy. And so every, you have to reevaluate. Uh, how's my prayer life? Like if you were to grade your prayer life on a scale of 1 to 10, not to be a legalistic Christian or anything, but seriously, I mean, is it obedient? Is it a 10? Is it where God wants it to be? Are you praying with your spouse? Are you praying with your kids or your friends or whoever it is? And I, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not praying as much as I want to. And so I'm asking God that together as a church, are you guys praying for me? Yeah, okay, thank you. All right, and I'm praying for you. We're praying for each other. And you watch what God is going to do. He's going to blow your minds. We're going to be hearing testimonies of things that God is doing simply because we're praying. And so tonight's study is uh, something I took uh, tomorrow night. I have a Bible college class, and I think there's 30 lessons. Today is just seven of those lessons. And so it's a little bit uh, tweaked, uh, different from the college class. But here we are today. And again, I'm learning with you, and I'm excited about this. How many of you here, you want to be closer to God? Do you want to be closer to God? you want to be more like Christ? How many of you here have unsaved loved ones that you want to get saved? Or sometimes, you know, you have some that they are Christians, but they need to get stronger or sanctified. This is why we're at this place. I know there's a lot to this, you know, that God uses truth and trials in my life to make me a, a prayer, a, a man of prayer. But I have come to realize that I will never come closer to Christ and I will never, ever be more like Jesus if I don't pray like Jesus. And so this is a beautiful thing. I hope you don't see prayer as a burden. Oh, man, I, he's talking about I got to pray. I mean, think about it, you guys. I mean, you get to talk to God. I'm not asking you to bench press 250 pounds or anything. We're not asking you to dig holes. You know, you, we have the privilege of talking to God. And so hopefully we understand it's a blessing, not a, a burden. And so we're going to look at seven lessons from Jesus' prayer life. And I actually want to start off somewhere different, you know. Um, by the end of the night, we're going to come back around to something that we probably would expect to, you know, in a study like this. But the first verse is a little different because I just want to be real about this. I don't want to be like religious. I don't want to be superficial. I don't want to be cliche. I want to be real about what it is talking to God in a fallen world, in fallen bodies. So number one, uh, we're going to see that Jesus prayed honestly. Look at Matthew 27 in verse 46. It says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, he's on the cross, it's 3 p.m., and he prays this prayer to his father. He prays this prayer uh, to God. And, you know, um, when you look at this right here, it might be a bit surprising that God the Son was asking God the Father why he had forsaken him. You know, uh, from a theological perspective, we knew why the Father had forsaken him because Jesus was bearing the sins of the world. All the sins that we've ever done were being placed on him. He bore them uh, for us. And so Jesus was just, man, sin. The Bible says he made... God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So when Jesus bore all our sins, the Father separated himself. There was a separation between them, first time in all eternity. So what we're seeing right here is how Jesus felt at that moment. And I know you guys have gone through a lot. I bet you, man, if I was to talk to some of you guys and some of the struggles you've had and the anxiety and the depression and suicidal thoughts and just the emptiness and you feel alone and you're so lost and just the way that our emotions sometimes are way down here, things that happen to us, Jesus here was in that spot. And as he's there, um, he asks this question he prays a prayer that's just honest i mean it's it's not just him fulfilling prophecy although that does point to psalm 22 right the psalmist knew that jesus would eventually say this but in his in his humanity he was wondering in his humanity he was wailing i mean in his humanity he was crying and he was whining he was asking his father think about that it just sounds almost crazy but why why, Father, why is this happening to me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There he was nailed to a cross, not a criminal, but the creator, not a gangster. I mean, we're talking this is God, naked on the public road there of Calvary for all to see, wearing our sin, bearing our pain, suffering our punishment, beyond measure, experiencing the wrath of God and doing it all alone. And that's why he's sharing this prayer. You know, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, yes, but that didn't take away from the agony of Calvary. And so, you know, I don't know, like when it comes to prayer, I think that we need to talk about this. It's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to say, hey, Lord, I, I don't get this. I don't understand this. God, I'm struggling with this. You know, I know we have New Testament light, and you know some of you guys are mature Christians, and you would never ask why, because you know the word, right? And, and so maybe you never go there. But, but maybe you do wonder why. Maybe you're out there and some of you are experiencing pain that's so deep that if you were honest, you cry. You cry about those things and you pour out your heart to God and, and you're not sure if that's right to do. And all, I'm, all I know is that whatever it is, and this is it really, it's a healing that we can experience because a lot of times we don't tell God the things that we're struggling with. 
And maybe it's because you don't take the time to pray. You don't make the time to pray. And, and so you're not doing it. But, but, but if you do and you're there and think about it, you know, sometimes people will go to counseling sessions and they pay, pay a lot of money for these counseling sessions. And yeah, maybe some of it's good. I, I don't want to take away from that. God knows, but I'll bet you almost anything. I've experienced this, that whatever it is I'm struggling with, and I just go and I start talking to God about it. I just pour out, Lord, you see what's going on in, in this situation and that family member and this friend and all those different things. And you just tell them everything. And then all of a sudden when you're praying, it's pretty cool because then the Lord starts telling you things back. I'm serious. It's not just a one-way conversation. If you give God enough time and you do it with sincerity, it will actually be a communion with God and you're asking him why, or you're, maybe you're, you're you know, just struggling with this. Lord, it's taken so long. I don't understand it, God. I try to serve you, and it just doesn't seem right. And you're talking to God about those things. Right here, I, I think it's so cool when it comes to prayer, and, and you look at Jesus' prayer life, that he prayed honestly. To be honest, I think that in one sense, this may be the best part of prayer. You have somebody, you have somebody that you can tell everything to. There's no one else on earth like that. You have someone that you can pour out your heart to. And so whatever you do, don't miss that. You can pour out your heart to God. I've told you guys before, it's probably not a good idea to complain to others about your life because 80% don't care and the other 20% are happy that you're going through hard times, right? And so, you know, I'm, again, I'm just joking. I know you have a handful of people that care for you and we're going to talk about this. And so I'm just joking about that. But I, will, I love 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Now, let me ask you a question. Whatever the burden is, have you really given it to God? You give it to God. You cast not just some of your cares, casting all your cares upon him, and you watch what God will do. So number one, Jesus prayed honestly. Number two, Jesus prayed graciously. And so for that, I was wondering if you could go to Luke 23. And it's kind of interesting because we're starting from the back end of his life. But in Luke 23, notice what it says there in verse uh, 34. He's on the cross. And then Jesus said, here, here's a prayer from the cross. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. I mean, do you ever think about that in your prayer life? Number one, that you can pray honestly. And then number two, that you can pray graciously. And, and, and the, the model of this is Jesus when he was on the cross. I, I mean, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. How many of you guys pray like that? You know, do I pray like that? Well, what were they doing, Manny? Well, they were um, murdering 
They were in the process of murdering their Messiah. Jesus asked his father to forgive them uh, from killing the Christ, slaying their Savior. And, and I'll tell you what, I have a hunch it made a difference. Because he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I'll bet you almost anything it made a difference. It helped the father not to wipe out those who were killing his son. You know, and when you look at praying graciously, asking God to forgive others, um, even asking God, you know, to forgive your, yourself. I know when I talk to God about people who have wronged me, I don't know if you guys ever talked to God about the, the things that are going on. You ever talk to God about people who have wronged you? You should. You should get this out in the open. I, 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 this is just me. You might be different. I just wired a certain way. I have a hard time holding grudges against people because I have a hard time thinking that I'm completely innocent. I mean, you know, that person did that. Well, so you've done nothing, Manny? You've done nothing wrong? Oh, I failed many times. And so for me, when I'm talking about people who have wronged me, number one, I'm sure that I'm not 100% innocent in this whole thing. And then number two, I, I believe what Jesus said right here, that they really don't know what they're doing. And, and so you might say, well, yes, they do. And they've been in the church and they're Christians and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know. I, I guess that's a dynamic that can be difficult to understand. But I, I just think they would never really do that if they knew really what they were doing. They're blinded to a certain extent. They're ignorant. That, otherwise, they would not, not do that. All I know is that Jesus here hanging on the cross, he teaches me how to pray honestly. He teaches me how to pray graciously. Now, some people, they, their favorite psalms are the imprecatory psalms. You guys know what the imprecatory psalms are? Those are the psalms where David said, God, break their teeth. God, get them and take their kids and dash them against the stones and throw them over the cliff. And, and you're like, whoa, that's crazy. That, well, number one, that's David being honest. And, and then number two, that's David without New Testament light. That's David without knowing the way that he should pray. That's the BC days. Under the new covenant and, you know, under our Christian manifesto, we are to prove our salvation by loving our enemies, by doing good to those who do us wrong, by blessing those who curse us. This is Christianity 101. This is the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus is there dying on the cross, He's praying for God to forgive them. That's why even in the model prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, he said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I tell you what, when you're praying and you're talking to God, when I'm praying and I'm talking to God, I want to make sure that I don't have anyone that I'm harboring unforgiveness with. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespassers, neither, here it is, listen to this, those of you who have not forgiven people, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, I'm still a Christian. 
I'm still involved in ministry. God's still using me. But maybe if you would just forgive, you'll reach a different level of your Christianity that's being, it's being hidden from you. You know, I was reading this, uh, this thing by, about Corey Tenboon, and you guys probably know her story. She was Dutch, and they, you know, she was there in the, in, in the inv- invasion of the Nazi Germanies and, uh, Germany, and they came and they were uh, you know, arresting all the Jews and taking them to the concentration camps. And so her and her family, they hid, they hid the Jews. And so eventually they were caught, and uh, her father died in prison. Sister Betsy died in the concentration camp from malnutrition. Just the whole family, all these things happened. So think about it. You're, you got these you know, guards, these soldiers, these German guys that you know, your dad is dead because of them. Your sister is dead because of them, right? And so she's dealing with stuff like that. She survived the war. She's a great Christian. And one day she ends up going and preaching a message in Germany in 1947. And the message was that God forgives. And she said in the message, when we confess our sins, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever, And she said that usually in Germany, whenever anyone would preach a sermon, when people were done, it was different there, they would silently leave. But she said one day as she's preaching the sermon, uh, there was a soldier that was going against everyone else. Everyone else is going out, but he starts coming towards her. And I want to read it to you. It says right here, uh, there were never questions after a talk in Germany. People stood up in silence and in silence collected their wraps and in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way toward uh, forward uh, against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a, a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking past this man naked. She's thinking about the way that that her life was in the concentration camp, and there's this guard, and she's naked walking past this man. She remembered this man. She said, I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, All of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But then he went on to say, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. And again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there 
I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed as hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever done. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience, it was difficult. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who had nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was simple and as horrible as that. And then that's as a side note. You don't forgive, you're the one who will suffer the consequences. And so here she's saying those that forgave were able to go forward in their life. Those that didn't, oh, she said it was horrible. And still, she said, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. And if she can forgive, and I, you know, being honest about the struggle it is, you may not be feeling it. I don't feel it. But, you know, we're talking about the importance of Jesus' prayer life and how he prayed honestly and how he prayed graciously to those who murdered him. So, so have what they done to you, is it worse than that? I mean, for us, looking at his life, looking at prayer, looking at Jesus saying, I won't hear you unless you forgive, it's a really, really, really big thing. You know, for me, I'm looking at Jesus' prayer life, and I want to pray like him because I want to be like him, and I want to be closer to him, and I'm realizing this is something that I have to take to heart. Jesus prayed honestly. Jesus prayed graciously. And then the third thing is Jesus prayed yieldedly. Yieldedly. Now, I don't think that's a word you're going to find in the dictionary, but you guys know what it means, right? Right. Yieldedly. Look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26. And if you guys get all seven points, I, there's someone here who's going to buy you a free In-N-Out dinner, just to let you know afterwards. We'll figure out who it is later. But Matthew 26. Look at verse 39. It says, he, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my father, if it is possible, 
Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I think these are really important to pray honestly, to pray graciously, and to pray yieldedly. I I really believe this is important. Do you have desires? Do you have desires? I know you do. I know you do. You say, yes, these desires are like fires within me. Some of you guys here, your desires are, man, they're just so huge. They're in front of you. This is what I want, God. God, this is what I want, God. This is what I don't want. I don't want. We have these things that are in front of us. And so I, when you're looking at this prayer request, to me it's interesting. It's, good. it's okay to have desires. And my encouragement to you is take them to God. Whatever it might be, you know, take those desires to God. James chapter 4, verse 2 tells us that sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. And so, you know, have you been praying about it? You know, seriously, bringing it before the Lord. Luke 18 talks about the persistent widow, and she kept praying and bugging that judge and bugging and bugging and bugging and bugging. And finally, God says, okay, the unjust judge gave her what he asked for, and so your Heavenly Father will do the same thing. So bring it to God in prayer, okay? So it's a really cool thing. I I think it's okay to ask. I actually even think that some people don't even know what to ask because part of prayer is going to God, and then what happens is he, he begins to tell you how to pray for your son, how to pray for your daughter, how to pray for your spouse, how to pray for what the situation. He shows you things. And so, you know, you go to God. I love the story of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. You know, when he was, uh, you know, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And I guess Jesus was kind of walking by over there, and everybody's telling him, shh, be quiet. Be quiet, you're, you know, you're crazy over here. You're sounding like a madman. And, you know, he just cried out the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And I think that's kind of how we should pray. You guys, go for it. Talk to God and, and you know, share. And then Jesus kind of looks aside and says, Oh, man, this guy really believes in me. And so he goes over to Bartimaeus, and this is what he said, What would you have me to do for you? What would you have me to do for you? Let me ask you a question. If God came to you tonight and there was one thing what would you have me to do for you what would you say Bartimaeus of course he knew he said Rabboni that I may see and Jesus healed him of his blindness right there and then and so I think it's okay to ask for those desires I think it's good to ask for those desires right Lord this is what I want And Lord, this is when I want it. That's how some people are, right? Uh, You you guys know, right? God is, for some reason, running late. Last I checked, he was always on time, but I don't know. Anyways, you know, this is what I want. It seems right, right? You know, (laughs) Father, there's there's a part of me that does not want to drink from this cup. This cup, Father, let this cup pass from me 
You know, Jesus was a part of him that didn't want this. I always say, you know, the suffering was the start of it. Yeah, of course you're not going to want to suffer. The sin that he would bear was a part of it. That's, man, imagine the Holy One who never knew sin, now he's having sin. But the separation from his father was the, the heart of it. So, you know, it's understandable to a certain extent. He said, let this cup pass from me. It seemed like a good request. Whatever it is that you're asking for, it's probably a good request, right? It, it might seem good, right? But let me just ask you a question. Let's settle this now. What if God says no? Will you still serve him? How will you serve him? With a bitter heart? With a half heart? What if God says, wait? I already know what you'll say. How long? It depends on how long. <laughs> you know, here, when we pray, Jesus teaches us how to pray. You have to pray honestly. You have to pray graciously. And you have to pray yieldedly. Right? My prayer is that we would see this beautiful thing that Jesus does. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. But thine be done. You must. I'm giving you guys all permission tonight to be taggers. Okay, you can all be taggers. Okay, you have to tag your prayers like that. And then you serve God with joy because he'll never be late. He'll never fail you. I love the, the, the story in Daniel three seventeen through 18 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were arrested because they hadn't prayed to the image. Nebuchadnezzar uh, then you know, tells them, hey, bow down, and you know, you're going to hear the music and all that kind of stuff. Bow down, and uh, if not, we're going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And think about that. You're facing fire. You're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And I love what Daniel three seventeen eighteen 18 says. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king, but if not, there it is, if not, he is able to save us from this fire. He is able to answer this request. He is able to do this miracle that I want him to do. But if not, if it's different, he says, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. No matter what, we won't bow down. This is what we want. God is able to do it. You know that. He can do that, right? Whatever it is you're asking for, he can do it like that. right? But he's sovereign and on the throne. He knows the best thing and the best time. So these are things that we learn from Jesus' prayer life. He prayed honestly. He prayed graciously. He prayed yieldedly. He prayed earnestly. Look over at Luke 22. Luke chapter 22, and in verse 44, it says, And being found, and being in being agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Right here, you know, when you look at this, being in agony, that severe emotional strain and anguish, 
he prayed more earnestly so that he experienced this medical condition called hematidrosis. The word earnestly right here, it literally speaks of stretching out. And the grammar is in the Greek imperfect tense, which here it conveys the idea of not relaxing, not relaxing in constant effort, like there's no letting up. And, and I think part of it is because, you know, he's got a cross in front of him. He's got a devil that's right around the corner. He's got a, a mission to accomplish, to save the world. And the victory won't be at Calvary. The victory is going to be at Gethsemane. The victory for our life is not going to be out there probably when we're in the middle of whatever it is that we're going through. It will be on your knees. And when you're there praying, let me ask you a question. Do, you, do we pray earnestly or do we pray casually? Hey, God, how's it going? Oh, man, I could check my phone real quick. I think I go... Oh, yeah. Oh, God, that's right. I just got a text message. Sorry, real quick. Lord, I just want to talk to you for a second. Oh, hey, what's up? How you doing? I mean, sometimes I think that when we pray, it's like, man, and then there's no that, you know, where we do it so flippantly, so casually, there's no warfare that's being won. And when we see Jesus praying, and it's not just here, other times, Hebrews also talks about the fact that he prayed vehemently with cries and tears. My encouragement to you is to make sure that you have that understanding. Hematidrosis is when the blood entered into the sweat capillaries and it came out because he was just praying so earnestly. Now I know some of you are probably like, wow, that's kind of weird. I, you know, and I, all I know is that wherever you're at right now, um, let's just go forward, that's all. I mean, for some of you, it's just beginning to pray. Like I talked to you about earlier on Sunday, Chuck Smith getting in the chair and just sitting down and just saying, hey, God, you know, I, I want to talk to you. And then you just start talking to God. You know, that's where maybe where you're at. Others, you're on your knees. Others, you're on your face. Others, you're crying out. God will show you. We need to pray earnestly. Um, we see that in the Gospel, I mean, in the book of James, chapter 5, 16 through 18, how Elijah prayed earnestly, and then Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. And so, one, Jesus prayed honestly. Secondly, he prayed graciously. Three, he prayed yieldedly. Four, he prayed earnestly. I kind of want to try, try to earn er, end early so I can give you guys at least five minutes to pray. Number five, Jesus prayed frequently. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 16, and we'll see if we can wrap this up real quick. And I think this one right here, how, if I were to tell you Jesus prayed frequently, you would be like, oh yeah, well, I would expect that, right? Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And so here in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, um, there's two, uh, I wanted to show you guys a, a Greek lesson right here. I think we have a slide if you guys don't have the Discovery Bible, it's a pretty cool Bible. It gives you all the grammar. Because remember, the Bible was written in Koine Greek, not English. And uh, the Greek grammar is so precise. And so here, it has that little symbol. See, it says right here, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. See that little symbol right there? Um, that means that it's in the Greek present tense. 
And so what that means in, in, the, in the Greek language is a continual, habitual, constant action. So Jesus himself would continually, constantly, habitually slip away to the wilderness and continually, habitually, constantly pray. I remember when we first started the church, we used to go over to this place over there. It was called Prayer Mountain, and we'd go to the caves and pray. There's something about that. And so all I'm saying for you, uh, my, my encouragement is make sure you're praying frequently. He will give you the divine details. Maybe it's going to be in the morning, noon, at night. Maybe it starts off in the morning and that's it. You pray all day. But you have to have a time where you get with God. And then the, the next thing we see, uh, number six, is Jesus prayed corporately. Corporately. Look at Mark chapter 14. Because I think that we might miss this one. And you're like, does that mean Jesus had a business? <laughs> no, we'll explain this. Mark 14, verse 32. It says, And then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. That was to the, the other guys, the other eight guys. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And so he's going to go pray. Tells the nine, stay there. He brings the three further with him. And then Matthew 26, 40, we'll show you that verse then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what could you not watch with me one hour? And so, so what does that tell me? That tells me that Jesus had prayer support. Jesus had individuals that he would look to in difficult times. He wasn't, even though he was God in the flesh, and sometimes you wonder, why did he even pray at all? Because he emptied himself of his divine privileges. He was a man, and so he was dependent on the Holy Spirit. He teaches us how to be a godly man or woman by prayer. And so here we see that even Jesus prayed with others. And so, you know, how can I say this? It was beautiful today before service to see all these people come in for prayer. And I know it's the Lord. And I know God is starting to stir people up. And so my encouragement to you is you pray about joining us. And if you can't, maybe you got to work, maybe there's things going on. I, that's cool. This is not obligatory. But, but if people catch that vision and if they understand what we're talking about, that even Jesus prayed corporately, even Jesus had prayer support, and I would even say to you that if you're going through something heavy, I hope you have friends that you can call up and say, hey, can you pray for me on this? And have that prayer support. It's important for us to pray publicly and when you do, you just pray from the heart. You know, here we see these guys uh, were sleeping, and that's really not the, the point of it at all. My point is just to share with you guys how you need prayer warriors in your corner. So whatever it is that you're going through, um, God will show you the right ones. It wasn't those eight. Even though there were 12 apostles, then Judas leaves, and now there's these eight you know, love these guys. They're going to be used by God in a mighty way. 
But Peter, James, and John, they got my back. John was the one that would lean on Jesus' uh, breast. Peter was the one that when they came against Jesus, man, he pulled out the sword, right? And so you're going to have, God will show you people that love you, people that you can trust. I hope you have them. And people you can share your heavy prayer requests with. And so Jesus, he prayed honestly, graciously, yieldedly, earnestly, frequently. He prayed corporately. And then the last thing is Jesus prayed solitarily, solitarily. And there's many verses we can turn to, but we'll go to Mark 14. Mark chapter 14. And look at verse... 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And so I believe more than likely the Lord knew that I mean, a couple of things. Number one, the devil is, is, is on his way. We're, gonna, we're about to experience some intense spiritual battle. He's going to create a storm. And, you know, if he didn't get him in the sea, I'm sure he'd get him on the land. So the Lord, you know, tells the guys, go away, go away, go to the other side. And then he tells all these other people that were there, you know, because I'm sure Jesus was friendly. Most of you guys would never do this. Imagine if I told you, imagine if I told you, hey, you guys, leave. Leave. How many of you guys would think he's a bad pastor? I'm just curious. You'd be like, wait a minute. You're, you're supposed to. No, Jesus tells them, go away. Go away. You guys go away. You guys go on the boat. You go to the other side. Because I need to go up the mountain and be alone with my father. You know, and, and we see Jesus did that over and over again. One of my favorites is in Mark chapter 1. In, in verse 35, if you want to turn there real quick, this one right here, oh man, I just love this verse and I probably have said it to you a million times, but Mark chapter 1, verse 35 may even be my life verse. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you, when you pray, go into your room. Basically, what he's saying is that there has to be a spot where you can be free to be alone with God. You know, and, and you, I don't, you're, you're never going to experience this wonderful life that Jesus has for you. I don't know, and I don't want to sound over, if you don't have this. Go somewhere where you can talk to God, where people are not watching you, where there's no one that's going to come into the room and, and you get away and you spend that solitary time with God. Now, I would love to hear from you guys. I would love to actually ask all of you, hey, where's your spot? Where do you spend time alone with God? I'm just curious. And if you say, well, I don't have one, then I would say to you, let's find one. Let's figure one out. Sometimes I've been in certain situations where I had to go in my car 
and turn on the air conditioning. No, I'm joking. I had to go in my car and just be alone with God. You know, but for me, I've told you guys a million times, it's in my garage. There in my garage and all the grease and all the mess and all that kind of stuff, there's this little rug that I have where I just, and I'm, not, I'm not in any way trying to sound religious or anything like that. I'm just trying to tell you guys that we need this. Of course, we pray all day long. Amen? Pray without ceasing, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I think it's verse 17. Pray without ceasing. We're constantly talking to God. I'm not talking about you know, that being different. I'm talking about though, those sanctified places where you and I, we meet with God. And if you don't have that, even Susanna Wesley had one. You guys remember what hers was, right? 19 kids, nine of those kids died, at least 10 left, but she would go into the kitchen and she would just put a blanket over her head and right there, even I would say that, right there, there's something about that. You're alone with God. That, that is just, you, you, you just know it. You're just there. And you talk to your papa, you talk to your father, you talk to your God, and, and you watch what he does. We read it over and over again, Luke five sixteen. so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness, Luke nine eighteen. and it happened as he was alone praying, alone praying, that his disciples joined him. And so all these things, my prayer, there's so many more, continue to stay the life of Christ, and just grow, grow in your prayer life. Be honest, be gracious. Just, just start talking to God. And I know we're running a little late, but I was wondering if we could just take uh, only seven minutes, because seven is, is a good number. Seven minutes, and we'll dim the lights. Um, I don't know if the musicians want to come up and maybe strum a little on the guitar. You get with the guys with the guys and the girls with the girls, if that's okay. Or if you're here and you're a married couple and you guys want to pray in your family, that's fine. But let's just break up into groups of about three, uh, no, more than, no, no more than four, and just pray. Just pray for whatever the Lord's laying on your heart. And then after seven minutes, we'll, uh, we'll close with a song. If you're home, at home, you can't just leave now. You're like, well, I'm hungry. No, you can't just leave now. If you're at home... Pray with somebody, and, uh, and if you're by yourself, pray for seven minutes. It's not that difficult to do.